Welcome to Turn on the Jets podcast this week. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And you are about to hear an outstanding conversation between Joe Caparoso and Corey Griffin of NBC Sports. But before you listen to that, I just want to remind you about all the other great podcasts we have available at Turn on the Jets Digital, including my podcast, Play Like a Jet. Brand new episodes Fridays. This week we are doing part six of our in-depth discussion with Albert Breer of SI on the road to Sam Darnold. Also, we've got nightly training camp recaps with Daryl Slater, the great beat reporter from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media. So make sure you're listening for all of that. Plus, we've got a brand new episode of What's Your Point featuring the great Joe Caparoso as special guest judge with Dalvin Asario and Pauly Brzez, a fun, well-spirited debate. It's week number two for What's Your Point, and I think it's even better than week number one. But if you missed either one, go check them out right now. Know Your Foe with Michael Nania debuts next week. It'll be an in-depth look at the New York Jets opponents on a weekly basis. And on Wednesday, the very first, we'll focus on the New York Jets' first opponent, in the preseason, the Atlanta Falcons, with somebody from the opposing media. You don't want to miss it. Also, speaking of things you don't want to miss, Manish Meadow was on the Jet Take this week. Special edition episode, an exclusive interview. Absolutely outstanding stuff from Ben Blessington and Kyle Fahey. Also, check them out live at 8 o'clock Wednesday night. Finally, I want to remind you that gambling is legal now, and if you want to win consistently and not just throw darts at the dartboard, you got to head over to Razorsport.com. They'll teach you not only how to play like a pro, but how to win like a pro. They've got access to all the same mathematical formulas and algorithms that the house has, and this way, you're on an even playing field. Check them out right now at Razor, R-A-Z-E-R, Sport.com. And now, with all of that said, here's Corey and Joe. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast, presented by Prime Sport. With the third pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. The New York Jets select Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. What should the Jets expect from you? Um, a lot of wins. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. This week, we are joined by good friend of the pod. It's been on it at least two or three times by this point, if not more. Corey Griffin, thank you for joining us. How are you feeling about Jets camp so far, Corey? I'm feeling okay. First of all, thank you for for having me. Thank you for for bringing me back on. It, it's always a pleasure for for it to be on any of the 347 Turn on the Jet podcasts. It's actually 360 um, as of yesterday now, but we're uh, getting. There. I'm sorry, you added another debate show between between Dalvin and uh, and everyone. Just everyone on Jet's Twitter, I assume. <laughs> that. That debate show, I mean, I don't know how many hours that show could run, particularly at this time of the year. That's that's not a crazy idea, though. It, I, I, debate works, man. Debate sells. Um, but no, it, it, to your question, feeling pretty good about Jets camp. You know, uh, Darnold is in camp, which is which is good. Um, you know, everyone is is picking on on tiny little plays here and there, and it's you know it's just it's just part of the beginnings of uh, end of July and beginning of August where where 10 second videos are indicative of someone's entire future and and uh, success and failure I did immediately Google for Jet Super Bowl tickets after that one slow motion uh, <laughs> 60 yard touchdown from Darnold to Robbie Anderson. Also got 87,000 tweets from Bills fans after he threw an interception on his first pass because they didn't like uh, one of my lighthearted insults about Josh Allen over the weekend. They're going to have to get used to it. But they, Bills fans are very sensitive right now about any Josh Allen jokes. 
Bill fans are very sensitive about everything all the time. You would think that having made the playoffs would have just, you know, alleviated a lot of stuff, made them feel a lot better. But no, no, Bill's fans are touchy from now until the end of time. I mean, look, when your quarterback depth chart is A.J. McCarron, a poor man's version of A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman, and maybe a poor man's version of both of them and Josh Allen, I, I get where their concern may come from. They're also currently starting uh, a guy called Vlad Dacos on their offensive line. And Jeremy Curley is also, I believe, penciled in as their number two receiver at the moment. God, they are a weird, weird collection of people. It, it's it's just such a strange roster, and you figured they had a lot of a – you know, at least McDermott seemed like like he had a plan. Um, like there was clearly an outline for for where they wanted to go. But this off season has just been such a mess. And I I don't know unless 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 we're all wrong or not all of us, but unless a lot of people are wrong about Josh Allen, I, I, it just seems like it's going to be another dark period for the Bills. Let's shift our focus back to our own struggling AFC East team. Uh, I've been of the thought since they drafted him that Sam Darnold should start week one. I feel like the sentiment was when they first took him that he probably wouldn't. I think now that he's only missed three practices, one padded practice, it does feel like the general expectation is that he could be that guy week one against Detroit. Is your expectation that he'll be under center week one, and do you agree with that approach? Uh, I think he should start number one. Um or I, th- I think no, the number one point or week one, I think he should absolutely be the starter. You don't trade up to the number three pick, regardless whether you trade up or, or not. Um, you don't draft someone, honestly, probably in the top ten and don't plan to start them week one. Um, that's just kind of the way it is when in today's NFL with the rookie salary scale. You, know, you realistically have about a five- to six-year window to win when your quarterback is under some form of, of cost control, and if he's really good, you're probably not even getting to the fifth or sixth year. So you're, you're probably looking at a four-year window where you can build talent around the roster to do that. Um, so the sooner you can get him reps, the better. Um, it, look, it also would not surprise me if they went with McCown for a couple weeks. Um, that's just the way this organization works. Uh, it's the way this coaching staff works. Uh, there's easy cover for them to say, hey, we, you know, he's close, but he's not ready yet. We just want to give him a little bit of time. Um, we just want to give him some time to get up to speed. We like Josh. We, want to, we think highly of I mean, I can already hear the Bulls press conference now. Um, I can hear the the you know the the monotone explanation of why the 38 year old journeyman quarterback is starting over 39 the 39 year old 39 year old journeyman quarterback is starting over the the 21 year old or soon to be 21 year old uh, rookie uh, top five pick. So it, it's just the way the franchise works. It's frustrating, but I could easily see it. But like like you said, there's in all things being equal, there's no way that Darnold shouldn't be starting week one. Who do you see Darnold's game projecting to at the next level? Some of the comparisons that I used were, and this is the ceiling, uh, somewhat around a healthy version of Andrew Luck. I think he has a little bit of Tony Romo to his game. Uh, Even I feel like the floor for him is basically just a middle-of-the-road starter. Hopefully we get above that floor, but it feels like there's too much physical talent and too much of the, I don't know, it's hard for me to see this guy completely busting unless the turnovers really exponentially become a problem early in his career and he does not have the short memory and everything just kind of collapses around him. And we kind of saw that a little bit in the past with Mark Sanchez, but they're very different prospects, uh, which is why I kind of always hate the reverting to just comparing the USC quarterbacks. It feels like 
not only is the ceiling substantially higher, but the floor is much higher for this guy too. Who are some other names that he might remind you of at this level? No, I mean, I think you you brought up a couple of good ones. I think if you look at his skill set and you break it down from there, right? He's he's got basically all the physical attributes that you could possibly want, whether it's the size, the the you know, he's not. He, he's not going to burn anyone on a, on a quarterback scramble, but he's mobile. Um, he's got a really strong arm. He's pretty accurate when his feet are set. But like you said, the concerns about the turnover. So I, I actually I think the Tony Romo comparison is the one I've I've seen and the one I actually agree with the most. Um, and I, I am an I am a big Tony Romo defender. I always have been. I always will be. I think he was criminally underrated, and the fact that he didn't start for what it was, whatever it was, into, at the beginning, and some of the drama that he had to deal with with Dallas didn't help matter. So I think if you get Tony Romo out of the number number three pick in the draft, you kind of have to be deliriously happy um, and kind of hope the the rest works out. Um, the the floor, I, I maybe it's just the Jets fan in me, but the floor is is dangerous because you know the turnovers could be a major issue, and we've seen quarterbacks who have you know sometimes inconsistent uh inconsistent mechanics especially at the feet you know like i'm he's not cam newton but i use cam newton as a comparison point where cam newton's throws can be the most cam newton can put the most beautiful ball on the field as possible right he he can he can pinpoint it drop it in a bucket 45 yards down the field in the wind while scrambling while falling off his right foot and then he can drop three steps set his back feet turn to the left and file it three feet over the wide receiver's head um it, it's just something that happens and it's not just an issue of turnovers but when your feet aren't right as a quarterback everything is off and Darnold had that ability last year at USC um, where he was able to be accurate or accurate enough even when his feet were like I think I forget one of the draft analysts but like they called him like he like a bow-legged or duck-footed because his legs would just be sticking out in two completely different uh, directions when he threw the ball sometimes Um, you know when when you have that you you everything else can kind of break down um, and and it's a lot easier to make those throws at the college level when DBs are you know a half step or a full step so, uh, slow as opposed to at the NFL level when they are you know step in, step by step or if they are a half step behind they're a half step behind generally because they want to be a half step behind because they're trailing and trying to bait you into a throw underneath um, so I, I think I think the Romo comparison is apt but I would say that. The the turnover concerns are one, and the footwork concerns are, are two things that could um, absolutely you know put a damper in, in Jets plans, Jets Jets fan Super Bowl plans. Elsewhere around the roster, what do we think are the other most important storylines to be following? I think when you look at the other position groups on the team, I think there's a valid concern around where a pass rush is going to come from, and how is that linebacker position? going to come together. I think a lot of people are somewhat assuming that Darren Lee is going to have this big breakout year and he's already one of the cornerstones of the defense, even though we haven't seen that transpire on the field yet. I feel like Avery Williamson's a solid two-down thumper and there won't be a huge drop-off from Demario Davis to him. But really, outside of that and Leonard Williams up front and what you'll get from Steve McClendon on the first two downs, all these reps seem very wide open, and whether that ends up being Nathan Shepard, who it seems like is going to get thrown right into the fire, 
a guy like Henry Anderson, and then an outside linebacker, some combination of Jordan Jenkins, David Bass, Lorenzo Malden, uh, maybe Dylan Donahue, and Josh Martin, who you know did play well when was given an opportunity on defense last year. How is this group going to come together, or is Todd Bowles just going to run a nickel or dime or a three safety look on every play, get as many linebackers off the field as he can, and just focus on generating a pass rush by blitzing like crazy? I think you answered your own question. I think it's the latter. Um, if if they actually think they can run a a four three or or let alone a three four with these linebackers, they are they are sorely mistaken. Like you said, they they have some guys in Avery Williamson who can play the first and second down or rundowns. Um, but you know, in today's NFL, first down isn't necessarily a rundown. You know, second down isn't necessarily a, pa- a rundown. I, you know, it's 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 completely fluid depending on the offense and the game plan that you're facing. And opposing offense coordinators are getting smarter and smarter. You're getting Far more guys in the Andy Reid uh, uh, type mold who are going to make their offenses flip and move and, and try different things, and you're going to get far more guys um, like Sean McVay who are young and innovative and willing to try different things on offense. The way you know a few years ago everyone was was copying the the Rex Ryan mold or the the defensive coordinator who was young and willing to blitz his face off just to see what happened. Um, I, I'm not a Malden fan. I think he's a bust. I think you know. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be much. I think Jordan Jenkins is fine, but I think he's kind of what he is. He's a lower level, um, you know, he's kind of a poor man's Calvin Pace, I think, is, is and that's more or less of a, a dig at, at Jordan Jenkins than it is a compliment to Calvin Pace, who I know you are a fan of as well, or, or were when he was playing. An all-time um, favorite, all-time. And I, I think the real problem here for me um, and we can get to Darren Lee in a second, but the real problem for me is the, the link between the outside linebackers and corners. Right, I, I am a fan of Tremaine Johnson's game, but he gambles. Um, and outside of him, you know, is Mo Claymore going to be healthy? Um, and then everything else is, is Buster Screen going to stop getting called for holding or illegal contact? Everything are they going to side Brashawn Breeland? Like, you know, the pass rush and coverage more and more in today's NFL are essentially linked at the hip. Um, and if one area is lacking, then it exposes the other's faults. And if both areas are, are lacking, let's say. Mo Claiborne gets hurt again, or you know Tremaine Johnson struggles or, or is gambling early, and there's no pass rush to, to back him up. Um, there, there could be some some trouble there. Um, Lee is interesting, right? He is, he's got speed. He you know came in with the coverage ability. Um, he's certainly got the Twitter account in the mouth to back up uh, whatever play he can put on the field. But you know his his. His play is, is his play on the field is, has been has left something lacking, right? Let's let's just you know be as honest as as we want. Um, he looked better when he got moved off the ball last year, um, as opposed to being more of an uh, an in between the tackles uh, uh, linebacker. So if he's going to be calling your plays, where does he fit in the scheme? I I think your point about more nickels, more three safety looks is probably going to be the best that we're going to get, especially given the investment that they put in at safety, Um, not just with the the drafting of of Adams and uh, uh, May, but the the kid that they also signed after the uh, – the kid also they signed after the uh, uh, supplemental draft, uh, Brandon Bryant from Mississippi State who they, a lot of people thought could get drafted during the supplemental draft. They obviously have Middleton as well, Wilcox as well, um, and then obviously Jet Twitter favorite, Rontez Miles. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of safeties on the field. I think you're going to see probably Adams moving around and playing more as a linebacker safety hybrid than just as a safety. 
Um, and I think they're just going to have to generate with a lot of blitzes that come from a lot of different places because I don't think they have anyone uh, at the second or third level that, that really f- strikes fear into quarterbacks. I think you raise raised an interesting point about the cornerback position. I think everybody quickly thinks of the Tremaine Johnson signing and is like, wow, the Jets have one of the best young secondaries in the NFL, and they have Tremaine Johnson. He's their first true shutdown corner since Darrell Revis. Without kind of taking a step back and looking at the entire position, I think Tremaine Johnson, considering their cap situation and what was available on the market, no problem going to get him and paying what you paid him. He's certainly not a traditional lockdown corner. He's a guy who makes plays. He's a bit, a bit, a bit of a ball hawk, but like you've said, can be beat and can be a little grabby with the penalties. But outside of that, Morris Claiborne was really good for the first six, seven weeks last year and then yep. banged up and, and not very good at all. And I think you know relying on him to be a, a top-flight starter for 16 games uh, is probably a bit risky. And then after that, you get to Buster Screen, who if he's going to be here we know the coaching staff likes him. We know they're not shy about bumping him to the outside. And we know when he gets bumped to the outside, teams will pick on him, particularly if Tremaine Johnson is opposite him. So if Claiborne's hurt and you're pushing screen into a bigger role and your base defense is a nickel, that's going to put a big onus on maybe a rookie like Parry Nickerson, maybe a retreat who struggled like Justin Burris, or you're going to be counting on one of the younger guys at the bottom of the roster to step into playing a bigger role, whether that's Derek Jones, who's flashed well in camp, Jeremy Clark, who we haven't heard much about, or maybe a guy like Daryl Roberts, who has played on and off the past two years, which is why I certainly wouldn't mind if the Jets took a swing at getting a guy like Bashad Breeland in here to add a little more depth. I just worry about screen A not being that good or consistent, and Claiborne's health. And I just also not sure, even when he is healthy, if he's quite as good as Jet fans are making him out to be. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he is. Um, that's it. I don't think he's bad. You know, I think he was. A, I think bringing him back was a fair, fair deal, um, fair market value. I, I agree with you about Johnson in terms of paying him, uh, given what was out on the market, given the Jets' needs. Um, you know, like look, there is there a potential for whether it's Nickerson or. Um, Clark or or Burris or Roberts to have a big year um, coming out of nowhere from the back of the roster. Yeah, sure, it's possible. But if you're betting on sixth and seventh round picks to be a not just a starter but a reliable player for you um, in either their first or second year, you're you're asking for a lot and you're really trusting a lot. The, the Jets have two very very good safeties. Uh, they have one playmaking cornerback, and then they have a guy who, when he's healthy, can be a very solid number two. And then if you have that, if everyone is healthy, right, and then screen is inside, then you have this ideal situation where you'll be forcing quarterbacks to throw against corners in ideal situations. And they'll get beat sometimes, like they will, but you'll have good safety help over the top. You'll have Adams making plays all over the field. You know, you have Leonard Williams up front causing havoc. You know, and you can see the beginnings of how it all comes together and is as in the optimistic view. Um, if you put it, if, if if everything works out, but as we saw just with the Eagles last year, I mean the team who won the Super Bowl, things didn't exactly work out. If you look across their roster last year, by the time they even got to December or January, so you have to have depth, and that's been one of the things that I've been harping on for years. Is you know whether it's offense or defense, the Jets might have some good players here or there, and, and they might have some intriguing young players. But their consistent misses in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round over the past decade almost um, have left them relatively bare in the second and third level of their roster. 
All right, before we wrap, I want to answer a couple of questions we received on Twitter and also give some of our takes on some of the more interesting comments we've seen from fans in the past couple of weeks before we dive into that part. want to remind you guys that this podcast is also brought to you by Willie McBrides in Hoboken, New Jersey, and we're going to be hosting a watch party and live podcast there on August 24th of the Jets-Giants preseason game. That's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. They're going to have specials all season long on drinks and food. So come hang out with us on August 24th because we're just going to be uh, drinking and doing this and hopefully watching Sam Darnold throw touchdowns against the Giants. So thank you to Willie McBrides for uh, getting on board with the pod. All right. Corey, two questions I got, and then I want to hear what your favorite, and it could be in an ironic way, comment you've seen on Jets Twitter, or string of ideas on Jets Twitter has been recently. Uh, This one comes from Teddy Nelson, and it basically says, if Bridgewater's knee holds up all through the preseason and he shows that he can play, what's the most trade value they would be able to get? And do you think it could be anything similar to the Bradford trade to Minnesota when he went down himself? No, the Bradford situation was the perfect situation for that sort of option. You know, they had um, they had a team in Minnesota who thought they could win right now. Uh, you had a team in Philly who had multiple options at quarterback, including just investing in Carson Wentz. Uh, you had it happen right close to the season where you needed someone who had a familiarity, relatively speaking, with the offensive and the offensive coordinator, which they had. Um, it, it was just the perfect storm of events. You're not getting a first-round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. Um, so I, I think, look, I think if you're the Jets and someone offers you a third or a fourth round pick, um, you just kind of have to run to the phone and say yes. Uh, he's not going to play for you this year, most likely. He's your number three quarterback on the roster, if you're being honest. You know, maybe he's number two, but how much good does he do as a number two versus having a fourth or even a fifth round pick in the, in the, uh, cadre for next year, considering some of the picks that they've traded? Um, I, I think if you give you, if you can get, a three, you run and take it. Even if you take a four and five, I think you absolutely have to have it. It just depends on whether there's injuries during preseason and to which team it happens. Yeah, I'm trying to temper my expectations here. I would be ecstatic, honestly, if the Jets got a third rounder for Teddy Bridgewater. I just think it's hard for him, a guy who's been out for that long, to show enough in the preseason yeah. to convince a team that, oh, yeah, we got to give a first-round pick for this guy because he's going to be – dividing reps up with Darnold to a much lesser extent with McCown. He's not going to be playing a he'll be playing a decent amount, but it's not like he's playing three quarters in four straight preseason games. And for whatever he does do in the preseason, it's still just the preseason. So I think the Jets, you never want to root for an injury, but from for the purposes of the trade, they're going to need someone to go down and a team to be pretty desperate. Otherwise, you're stuck with a scenario where Bridgewater's on your roster for this year and then he walks for nothing. I know there's a segment of Jet fans who think Bridgewater is going to be the starting quarterback this year and can still be the guy for the future here, and it's just not going to happen. The Jets have invested yeah, too much. It's that's not, not that's not an option. That's that's not going to happen. Like you said, the pre like the preseason thing is the real problem, right? Because okay, even if you take McCown out of the equation, which they did last year, which is fine, and I get it, and I understand it, even though it's a new offensive coordinator, technically it was in the whatever you want to do, all that, right? But Darnold should and hopefully will get a majority of reps in the preseason as they go along. Um, but even if you're going to play Bridgewater right to showcase him. By the time he gets in, he's still going to be playing with second and third strings. So how much are people really going to take value in that? How much value does that have across the league? How much does that help him? How many? How much does that limit him? It, it's just you're in a really tough situation where I think if you can get something, you probably just have to take it unless it's maybe you know a sixth or a seventh round pick, at which point he might just be better off holding on to the roster um, to just in case someone gets hurt. 
Um, but again, this is a team rebuilding, so it, it, does it really hurt to just have an extra pick and kind of go from there? All right, our second question from Brandon Ferris. Do you think there's any steam to the Mac and Jets rumors? And I don't know if there's any real Mac and Jets rumors outside of all of our dreams, but basically I think I the question... Is that just a bunch of tweets? Yeah, I would say I think the thought of the Jets potentially acquiring Mac, whether that's via trade or let's say everything really breaks down in Oakland. I mean, Khalil Mack is about as good as it gets and is when it comes to a pass rusher, which the Jets desperately need. I can't see any way where he just hits the market because Oakland would at least franchise tag him and try to get some type of collateral back. I think the main question is how high of a price are you willing to pay for a guy like Mac? What are your initial thoughts? I Let's say no. Let's just say no. I, I mean, look, full, full disclosure, I am a University of Buffalo product. Khalil Mack is along with Brandon Oliver is the only, are the only University of Buffalo products currently on active rosters in the NFL. I would literally give anything to watch him in a Jets jersey. I would give actual dollars of my own to contribute towards his salary on a yearly basis to try to make that happen. But, you know, it, it's going to cost, you've got to think it's going to cost upwards of two first-round picks, right? Minimum is what Oakland's going to want. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, and that, I mean, it has to be. You're not going to get it done with just one first-round pick. Right, and so you're give, so you already have no second next year, right? You already gave away two seconds this past year to get Darner, which is fine, but so now you're giving up all of your picks for the next first two rounds for three years, basically, in order to get two players, um, one of which is going to cost you the biggest contract and the biggest defensive player contract in the history of football. Um, I, I'm not saying that he's not a great player. He is. He's a phenomenal player. He's an excellent edge rusher. He's a three-down player. He does a million things, right? But he doesn't it's not worth it for where the franchise is and the other thing is you're going to have guys you're going to have people in other organizations who are a lot closer who are sitting there going we just need an edge rusher and we can get him and and they're willing to pay more i mean you look at a team like green bay who has openly said that they are willing to uh to spend on free agents willing to spend on on opposing teams players to add talent to the pipeline under their new gm well, they make a lot more sense for someone like Khalil Mack than the Jets do. You know, they have a what, whatever window you want to consider for Aaron Rodgers, six to eight year window under Aaron Rodgers. Pairing him with someone like Khalil Mack on the defensive side makes a lot more sense than a Jets team who just drafted a quarterback and hasn't done anything else and hasn't proven that they're even a playoff team, let alone a contender, um, to try to give up those sorts of assets. All right, before we go. What has been, uh, in your opinion, the most sort of inter- entertaining chatter you've seen through a week of about Jets training camp here, or the string of tweets that have made you just want to slam your head against your desk repeatedly? So, so I want to take this in two directions. Um, one, both both like under a central theme of, of using caution and exercising caution when it comes to preseason, um, when it comes to training camp. The one being obviously the Darnold thing, which is just that, Look, everyone, when it comes to these sorts of situations, it's not the same as Khalil Mack. It's not the same as Aaron Donald. These players aren't – Sam Darnold was not under contract, right? But to act like he wasn't going to get in or the three or four practices that he was going to miss was going to drastically derail his either his rookie season or his career is naive and stupid and clickbait. Um, in the grand scheme of things, if he plays – 
15 years as a starting quarterback for the NFL, for the New York Jets or another NFL team, no matter how good he is, no one is going to remember the three to five practices that he might have missed at the beginning of his rookie year and say that was the reason why he was just really good and not great. Right? No one's going to look at those three things and be like, those, if he fails, those is going to look at those practices and be like, well, you know, if he had only shown up on time, he would have been great. Or if the Jets had only caved... You know, he would have been great. And you could have, we could have another conversation that goes on much longer about um, uh, offset language and bonus language and the way that they language contracts in terms of fines and, bon- and, and um, uh, punishment related to league discipline. That's a whole other thing and, and relates to a much larger conversation around the CBA and rookie salary scale. Um, but it, it was only a couple of practices, and the panic was way too much, and there were way too many pieces about what are the Jets doing, why isn't Darnold there, what's wrong with Jimmy Sexton, blah, blah, blah. Like, look at the backstory. The Jets and Sexton have a terrible history, started most recently with, with, Fitz, with Fitzpatrick, and clearly there's some bad blood there, and clearly Sexton wanted to stick it to the Jets, and clearly he was in a weird situation, and the Jets clearly were like, no, this is our policy and we're not bending, and it just put them in a weird situation where – Sam Darnold missed three practices, one padded, and a few days' worth of video review that he could have you know, done some of it on his own. So I would just say to everyone that remember that when this happens again, and it will happen again whether with a rookie or a veteran, to just remain calm, use caution, and keep some sort of perspective. And smaller, quicker point on the second one, I don't remember who it was, but I think it was Kevin King um, of, of uh, who, who said, who was interviewed, I, th- I can't remember who I saw tweeted it out, but Kevin King, a cornerback, um, talked about how when you see some of these quick hit highlights from, uh, from training camp um, and you see a cornerback get, let's say, destroyed, right, or you see a specific offensive lineman or defensive lineman get blown up or running back, run through a backfield, run through a the, the defensive backfield or anything like that, right, this is practice, and and as anyone who has, um, where anyone who is a professional understands that when you are practicing or when you are going through a, a moment that's not in the spotlight, you try things. And I think his his point was just like, look, you don't know what I'm doing. You don't know that I might be trying a technique that I've never tried before, or something that I'm trying to add to my game this year. And at my point, might not be to stop this pass. It might just be to get my footwork properly, or it might just be to to locate my hands in a certain spot on a jam. Like, we just have to understand that we know five percent maybe less of the data that we need to know in order to accurately judge a 10 to 30 second uh, training camp video and that we should probably look towards a more complete picture and try to keep our heads about us rather than overreacting to you know a tweet or an instagram post or a quick article about two days of practice about how someone looks terrible and someone looks great i think that's very well said i think as much as we get excited about these training camp practices without overstating it, these practices don't matter all that much. They matter in certain instances of players like learning a new system, but people are going to win jobs and make or break their roster spot in the preseason games and maybe to a slightly lesser extent uh, the green and white scrimmage and maybe a little bit of the joint practices, but a lot of these day-to-day practices are glorified walkthroughs and moments that happen in them or players who string together a couple good days, they don't really always resonate. It matters are you going to perform when the lights go on in the preseason. I just can't tell you how many times throughout the years there is a guy who 
looks great. He looks great early in camp. When you get to the preseason, and it's like, did he even play today? Where where was he? Was he even out there? Yeah. So that that is where the main evaluation is being done for all the flaws with the preseason. So as much as we like to you know have fun with the good highlights and uh, poke fun at the bad highlights, particularly of people on the other teams, uh, particularly within the division, uh, a lot of what has happened to this point really is not going to matter all that much when the season starts. I think this Saturday in the green and white scrimmage, that starts to change a little bit. And then I think it really changes when you open the preseason the Friday after against Atlanta. Um, I think that is going to wrap it. Uh, Corey, appreciate you taking the time. This was a great chat. We'll definitely talk again sooner rather than later. Everybody, of course, make sure to go follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Griffin NBC. Any final words? No, uh, my only advice would be to tell Scott to stay out of my DMs. <laughs> good, good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> he will He will not stop. I can't stop him. I can only do so much here. So <laughs> he, he, will be, he will be chasing still. All right, Corey Griffin, uh, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week.